why more religion is not the answer, and what that means for you today on the Tower Hill Podcast. Welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. I hope that you are having an amazing day. Well, we are now into week two of our sermon series called The Gospel in Life. Again, this is a series that's based on Tim Keller's work, a group study that he created of the same name that really drills down into what does it mean to live a transformed life according to the gospel. Because for a lot of us, We get that faith is supposed to matter. We get what Jesus is supposed to mean for our lives. But at the same time, we're not quite sure all the time how that's supposed to translate into our our work, into our home, into our recreation, into every piece of our lives. Because the truth is, I think for most of us, even though our heads believe it, our hearts live in such a way that we keep God kind of compartmentalized or you know, there's our church life, which is separate from our home life, which is separate from our work life. And I believe what God would say is, no, 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 there is no separation. It is all together. It is all one life, and it is a life that I have placed my call upon, and I want to see you live. So how do we do that? How do we start living a gospel-transformed life. That's what this series is about, and I hope that you are finding it helpful so far. As always, we hope that you'll join us live at our worship services. We have traditional worship at 9 a.m. and a modern service, contemporary service at 10.30 a.m. And uh, in a couple weeks, we're about ready to kick off our evening service called Tower Hill Nights. That's at 6 p.m. in our renovated youth space called The Attic, which is this really cool space. And uh, it's a very casual, informal, conversational style of worship. And uh, we think you'll enjoy it. Hope you'll come out for that. Well, we got a lot of things going on in the life of the church, of course. We want to encourage you to jump into one of our many small group opportunities that we have going on. You'll see all of that information at TowerHillChurch.org, as well as all of our upcoming events. So as we get ready to jump into this next week, We are talking all about what is the difference between religion and what it is that Jesus calls us to do. What is the difference between somebody who is irreligious and somebody who is trying to follow Jesus? These are really great topics that are brought up in this week's week's sermon, talking about that there are three ways to live. And I hope that this helps you in your journey of faith, wherever you are today, wherever you're listening. May God bless you as you hear this week's installment of the podcast. As we go into this second week of our sermon series called The Gospel in Life, it very much is about how the love of God is different than any other kind of love that we can experience and how this love is meant to transform our everyday going to work, walking around lives. And and really the whole idea of this is drilling down into how do we live the gospel in life? How do we live it so that it's not just our Sunday going to church life. It's not just our, our prayer exercise life. It is our life every minute of every day and that the gospel touches everything. 
And so I think part of it is starting to get our heads around what does it look like to live this life? And how are we to know that we're doing this life right? As I was uh, on the elliptical machine this week, watching TV, you know, it's so great that there's TVs on those things. They really help. But, you know, watching, and I was flipping the channels, and I I came across TMZ. (laughs) Don't judge me. (laughs) The, The whole goal of TMZ is to show celebrities who are getting it wrong. It's like everything, like, why are we so interested in celebrities when they get things wrong, when they mess things up? Why, why do we care, seem to care so much? There are magazines and TV shows and all this airtime spent talking about just how horrible these celebrities mess up. And, you know, we just, we watch this stuff and we're just like shaking our heads like, mm, that's bad. That's, that's, that's not good. And I, I think there's part of this though, it's like, um, I'm just going to confess to you right now. This confession I might add this out of the podcast. I'm just kidding. But I think what it is, our fascination when people mess up, is that, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, when I look at someone else's bad behavior, I feel better about myself. This is our safe place, right? Circle of trust. I think it's a, I feel better about myself. I think, well, at least I'm not like that guy. Right? You think, well, I might not be perfect, but at least, and then you could fill in the back, at least I'm not doing this. At least I'm not doing that. At least I, I may be messing up, but at least I'm not messing up as bad as that person. I feel like there's a part of that that speaks to us. We feel comforted by it. It's kind of like the idea that if I'm being chased by a bear, I don't have to be faster than the bear. I just have to be faster than the last guy. Right? It's like there's a spiritual version of this. Everybody was okay, by the way. There's, there's a spiritual version of this, I think, where we are doing this comparison thing. Like the bear's chasing us. And if I live a certain way, I might not be perfect, but at least I'm better. Better than those, those people who are really messing up. But if I live my life a certain way, I'm going to be able to outrun the bear and I'm going to make it. And we think that God is somehow like us, like our relationship with God is we're trying to outrun the bear. It's all about what we do. I think there's a deep sadness that comes from this way of thinking for many church-going, self-proclaimed Christians. It's that it's about what I do that makes me acceptable to God. It's about my behavior that makes me outrun the bear. And then what happens is I see the people who I think are further behind me and I judge them. I, I, I become very self-righteous. Well, well, at least I'm not like... I think it's something akin to, we think if we live morally, like if we live morally, if we know right from wrong, and we live right, 
then that means God is going to reward us. And that if we are immoral, then God somehow is going to punish us. We have a very binary way of thinking of our relationship with God. We do good, we're in. We don't, the bear gets us. I think a definition of how we see morality is morality equals I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. So for people who think this way, it's all about the rules. It's all about rule following. And I know I got some rule followers here. It's about rule following. If I do this right, if I follow the rules, I will be accepted by God. So I better go to church more. And I better pray more. Because I want to make sure that I'm in. I want to make sure that bear doesn't get me. In fact, I think Jesus would tell you this. He would say the words morality and religion are interchangeable here. Religion, which is what? A system of morality. A system of what you have to do in order to be accepted by God. Religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. I think what makes this hard is that many of us were taught this way of living growing up. How do your parents teach you? They teach you right and wrong and how you're supposed to behave and how you should live morally. And I think what happens, this happens with a lot of our uh, family of origin stuff. We all have stuff from our families growing up. And what happens is we transpose that onto God and say, well, if that was like that in my family, then it must be very true of God that he cares most about how we behave, about whether we know right from wrong. And when I was a brand new convert to Christianity, I was definitely influenced by a lot of Christians who believe this. Like, if you don't behave a certain way, you are not going to be accepted by God. They, they didn't say that, but their actions and the things they taught said that. So, for example, I uh, went to, had a lot of friends who went to Christian colleges. There are a lot of great Christian colleges out there. Uh, there was one in particular, though, that I remember I had a friend at who was telling me that, like, if they had a movie that was rated worse than PG, they could get expelled. There were rules around all of their behavior. Dress code, how they did their room. Um, they couldn't use the same stairwells of, as members of the opposite, students of the opposite sex. So they had stairwells for boys and they had stairwells for girls. This is a college campus. I was looking at, this is their recent entertainment kind of clause, and I was looking at just that, that middle paragraph. Any media or form of entertainment, regardless of rating, including but not limited to television, movies, books, magazines, apps, computer, and video games, which contains violent, sensual, or demonic themes. Would you rule out the story of Jesus? Because there's demons in it. I don't know. Suggestive dress, profanity, or rock music is not permitted on or off campus. Students are not to attend movie theaters, rent movies, or watch movies on mobile devices, or play computer and video games rated E10 and above. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. How do I sign my kid up? <laughs> no, but, <laughs> no but, but you see, it's about if I can legislate behavior, if I can legislate the morality, then therefore we will be accepted by God. I think that's, that's the underlying message. 
That's the underlying message. I'll put it this way. That's the underlying message I read when I see things like this. It said, it's all about my behavior. Now, does God care about your behavior? Of course he does. Of course he does. But when we start acting like we are, our confidence come from our own following of the rules or our own self-righteousness, Jesus sees that as a big no-no. He spent a lot of time talking to Pharisees about how this was wrong-headed. To think that if you obey more, God accepts you more. Let's take a look at one of these moments. Jesus is telling a parable. Luke 18, beginning with verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. (laughs) I just love that setup. As we like every person who ever lived, like this applies to you. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Remember, tax collectors are bad. Of course, not nowadays, anyone who works for the IRS, we love you, but back then, bad. <laughs> no comment. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Right? Religion. I am obeying the rules. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's the difference in the two? Does God just not care about behavior? No, no, that's ridiculous. Of course he cares. But he cares for a much different reason. This is a problem of the heart. That in trying to obey the rules... The Pharisee missed the heart of God. He thought that just by going through the religious routine, that that would make him righteous. The problem is our heart. If you just think about it this way, let's go back to the parent illustration. If you were to ask, somebody were to ask your kids, how do you know that your parents accept you? Hopefully they wouldn't say, because we follow the rules. <laughs> They'd be lying, but, but either way, it's because we follow the rules, therefore we know that our parents accept us. No, you accepted them when they were born and they couldn't even do anything to earn your love or, or when you found out that you were pregnant or, or whenever it was that you, you had a joy for those kids and a love for those kids before they could do anything behavior-wise. You would say, those kids have gotten it wrong. Those kids have gotten it wrong. They're already accepted because of the love of their parents. And I feel like this is what God is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. You are already loved. It's not because of what you can do. It's not because of your behavior that you're accepted. None of you would be good enough. I have already loved and accepted by what I did on the cross for you. 
So you could say that there are two ways that people usually choose to live. Let's go with this binary idea. The, the immoral, the way of immorality or irreligion, which says, I don't really have to obey anyone but myself, right? There is no higher power. It doesn't matter. We're just all worm food. And I just do whatever I want. I don't, I don't have anybody to obey, just, just me. Or there's the moral, religious way. This, this is how Jesus is defining it. Or there's the moral, religious way that says, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. And you see, both ways of living make the same mistake. They're looking to themselves for salvation. So what is the Father's heart like? How is it that God wants us to live? Jesus tells this amazing parable. It's actually one in a series of parables about lost things. He wants us all to know what the Father's heart is like. And there's perhaps no other parable that shows this like the parable of the prodigal son. Although I do think, I agree with Tim Keller, this, this parable may be inaccurately named because it's the parable of the two sons. Jesus says there's a, there's a story of two sons. We later called it the parable of the prodigal son. But we are meant to identify with and understand the role that both sons have in this story. We're going to read parts of this story now. Luke chapter 15. Starting with verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, just so we don't glance over that. Could you imagine going to your parents before they die and say, I would like my inheritance now, please. I don't know how that got over in your house. But for me, not so good. He asked, and so, and back in this culture, this was literally saying, I am cashing out of the family early. I am no longer part of this family, and I'm fine with that. Just give me my money so I could go do what I want. And the father agrees, gives him his inheritance, and this younger brother goes off and does what we traditionally would view, everybody would view as that sinful behavior. He goes off, he, he gets a bunch of prostitutes, he's, he's out there, he's, you know, living whatever he wants, every desire that he has until all the money is spent. And everybody, you know, religious or not, would look at that and be like, that's bad, you shouldn't do that. That's, that's, that's sinning. And then things get so bad that he reaches this low that it was meant to be like, it's the worst possible situation. So if you're in a, a Jewish community, particularly in the day of Jesus, you know that eating pork is unclean. So what could be more unclean than eating the food of pork? Like if you're eating pig food, you don't get any more unclean than that. And that's where he is. He's desperate. He is literally eat, wanting to eat the pods that the pigs are eating. It just, it's a symbol of just how far he's gone. He is as unclean and far away from God as you can get. And then the story goes that he comes to his senses. I can't wait to hear Jesus the way he tells stories. 
I can't wait to hear that someday because he had to be so good at it. He comes to his senses and he says, well, I'll just go back to my father, not as a son, but I'll ask if I could just be a hired hand or a servant because he's got food. I could survive there. But imagine what this son is thinking when he's coming back home. He's like, get ready. You're in for it. You're going to get a whole lot of harsh words from your father. And then this is what happens. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, I love that. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This shows you. So remember the point of what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is what the father's heart is like. When we go astray, no matter how low we get, when we repent and say, please forgive me, he comes running to us to embrace us, to kiss us, to celebrate something that we don't deserve. That's the Father's heart. The Father's heart is to seek and find lost things. But there was another brother, wasn't there? Who was not down with said celebration. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So let's just set this up a little bit. Why would the older brother be angry? Not just because the younger brother was, you know, an idiot. But... Remember, in this culture, the, the elder brother was the one who was going to receive the inheritance. So every dime that younger brother cost him was coming from his pocket. And he's mad. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Oh, that's good. Isn't that good? All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. There it is. I did the right thing. And you owe me. Wow, anybody ever feel that way about God? I did the right thing. You owe me. It's okay, that's rhetorical. You don't have to answer. I never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, that's good, good. this son of yours, this is dripping with anger. This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, I love how he spins that back around, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
This is the Father's heart. This is what love looks like in action. You see, in this story, both sons were equally lost. But they were lost under two different, in two different ways. Irreligion and religion. Both cared more for the father's things, for the father's wealth, than they cared about the father. They both made the same mistake. One was masked in irreligion. One was masked in religion. Okay, so what are we talking about here? So we're talking about that the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's love, says that there, those aren't the only two ways to live. There's a third way. It's the gospel way that says this. I am accepted by God at infinite cost to Jesus Christ. Therefore, I obey. That I love God so much and I'm so thankful that he has saved me. He has given me the feast. He has killed the fattened calf for me. This sinner who repented and came home, he celebrated for me. I never deserved it. I never deserved another chance. And because I'm so grateful, that's why I live my life a certain way. That's why I care about living according to God's commands and laws. Because I love him so much. That I live a life of gratitude. It's not about what I do. I'm already accepted. But now that I'm accepted, I want to do stuff for God. Listen, we're not running from the bear. God removed the bear in what he did on the cross. So how do I live the Father's heart? Understanding the Father's heart in this parable is everything. You got to understand for the Father, this was the greatest day in the Father's life. His son was dead. He had cashed out of the family and he has returned. He is back. We should reflect the heart of the Father. Where we would do anything. We'll go running. We'll meet them more than halfway. For all those who are looking to come back home. God's heart is to seek out and rescue the lost. And the elder brother was not willing to absorb the cost of what that's going to take. Now listen, here, here at our church, this is a church that's been here a long time. Has seen a lot of ministry. And it feels like, especially over the last couple of years, you know, capital campaigns and building projects, it feels like we've been really inward focused. But make no mistake, this is so that, in a way, we're paying a cost to reach people waiting to come home. You're going to hear a lot from me this year that now's the time we must go out into our communities. We have people in our lives who need to hear about Jesus, who need an opportunity to respond to the grace that they don't even know about or have forgotten about. There are people who feel so low that they're ready to eat the big food. We need to tell them that this is not the end for you. You can always come home to the Father. We need to be the kind of elder brother that will spare no expense 
to bring all younger brothers home because we all once were younger brothers. Listen, we have to move the needle on what God wants to do. If not now, then when? If not us, then who? Many of you who know me know that I am not interested in coming here every week and playing church. At all. That does not interest me. I just don't want a big gathering of nice people saying nice things to each other and then going about the rest of our lives. That's not what God calls us to do. I want us to wrestle to the ground with what God wants for our everyday lives. So much so that we ache for it. That's a church. That's a disciple. That's love. That's the love that God wants us to share. A true elder brother is more than willing to sacrifice in order to bring the younger brother home. And we have our example in the perfect elder brother of Jesus Christ who laid down his robe of glory so that he could put it on our shoulders. Who laid down his life, who humbled his life himself, who died so that we could live. He puts the ring on our fingers and has promised us a heavenly feast. And we are to imitate him. So, how do we fix the heart problem? Because that's really what it is. How do we get our hearts right so that we really accurately reflect the love of the Father, the heart of the Father? Well, maybe these have a few questions that may help you in that direction. The first is, maybe you want to ask, this is a question I ask myself often, are you a follower of Jesus or a follower of morality? In other words, has your relationship with God just become more transactional? Is it about what you do rather than reflecting God's heart? Or perhaps another question. Are you in it for the Father's things, for the Father's wealth, or are you in it for the Father? Do you care more about what God can give you than you do about what God wants you to do in your life? Because he loves you. And then last, when you get to that point, this is, it's not just a one and done. Oh, my heart's right. All right. Happy life. <laughs> it's like every day. Confess, repent, and he'll be waiting for you to come home and engage in heart-healthy activities. Serving, giving. We need those Sunday school volunteers. We need people to help in missions. We need people to go out into the world and to make a difference, to truly make a difference. And God's called you. Let us all pray that we feel that call every single day, that we share our Father's heart, because when we do, we're going to learn how to live the gospel in life.